How, how many have got something out of the Tough Topic series? You know, there's always a dilemma when you're going through this, uh, This is especially with our culture today, you know, if I'm talking about evolution or sexuality or women in ministry, uh, which is more of an in-house uh, kind of topic within Christianity, but also in the, uh, you know, the, the culture at large, um, and especially addiction, and then uh, when we get to suicide, um, I'll probably talk about it a little bit, but I, I didn't want to just do it briefly, um, because I think it deserves full attention. You have to, in, in our culture today, you have to biblically almost prove the point, even for the Christian, to let them understand what right and wrong is. Do you understand that? Like, like, so, so there's a certain amount of effort that has to go into the scripture to, to show that there is a, a wrongness or a rightness or a, you know, what, how God perceives things before you can even talk about this is God's way of restoration. Because if someone already knew in their heart and if they existentially or their experience to understood drugs and addiction and whatever it is that, that's mastering them, uh, and they knew that it was wrong per se, then they would internally sense that or biblically sense that and then just be asking the questions, how do I get out of this? Who, who can help me out of this? Um, but if they see, if they don't really understand the right and wrong, which I don't believe our culture really does understand, um, and it's just approached as a wrong, right, then, then, the, then it almost seems like the symptom... Um, becomes kind of the cure. The only way that you can get rid of it is to, you know, just stop doing it. And Bob Newhart has that really funny, you know, little vignette where he's the psychologist and someone comes to see him and they ask him what, what they do and he tells them, stop it. <laughs> right? And so you go to counseling, you share everything on your, on your heart and at the end, he just, the psych, psychologist or counselor or therapist just says, okay, are you ready? And you go, yeah, thanks for letting me share. Well, here's the solution. Stop it. <laughs> right? And, and if you've seen Bob Newhart, you know, for you who are probably over your 35 or 40, you probably remember him. And if not, um, then you have some rapper that you're thinking of right now. <laughs> you know? And, uh, but, but the thing is, is that so when I have a certain amount of time and I want to cover something, there, there's part of me that wants to go right to the solution. You know, but these are the ways that God can help you through this. But if I just go through that and you don't have a recognition of what it's doing to you, a self-recognition of what, you know, drugs or alcohol may be doing to you, you, you might get confused, especially in our culture, because there is a medicinal use of drugs. You know, God never literally says, do not drink. He just says, do not be drunk. Um, but we also know from our medical, uh, you know, studies and stuff that there are, you know, um, you know, genetic patterns in alcoholism and also, you know, some spiritual influences that move from family to family. And that there are some people that can maybe have an occasional beer, and there's a person who cannot have an occasional beer. That occasional beer to them becomes a a 24 pack, you know, or a, or something stronger. And um, how many how many are with me so far? And so uh, these are real delicate matters. And th there are some people that get set free, boom, from something that, that they're addicted to. And there are some people that go to recovery groups for 10, 20 years and are, are just walking, walking things out. And th there are, are um, people who get free and then they have a setback and free and then they have a setback. And, and that's kind of been their cycle. What I hope to encourage you to do today is, um, oh, one, one other thing is people also are looking at the prohibition. Like, where does God talk about it? Like, does he say, this is wrong? You know, like, uh, you know, does God in the scripture say, you know, I do not want you to smoke weed? Or does he say, you know, no LSD? And, and there is no illicit, you know, prohibition on any specific thing. So we have to look at the principles and some of the, the, the uses of words like pharmakia and others from the Old Testament to say, how did God view this in the laws, in the Levitical laws, and how does he look at it uh, today? Uh, is it any different um, in light of the New Testament? 
And um, one of the things that I can tell you in an overarching way is when does God point to anything else for your restoration besides himself? Even with medicinal drugs, the answer is always God, and God can use medical things. But God is always the answer. Do I hear amen? Amen. Listen, I, I have spent many, many, many moments and hours and weeks in the hospital with people, with people dying, with people sick, with people in cancer, all different kinds of things over the period, a long period of years. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to doctors, sometimes where they have great confidence, this medicine's going to work. And other times where they go, I don't know if this medicine's going to work. Or we're hoping it'll stir this up and we're experimenting with this. And how, we don't know how the body will react. And we also face a reality that God has numbered everyone's days. The Apostle Paul walked in great miracles, didn't he? And he's dead. <laughs> what happened to Paul? He's dead. You know what I mean? And all those great Christians of the 12th century and the 13th century and the 15th century and some of the great reformers of the 15th and 16th and 17th century, mighty men and women of God, great missionaries, died in diseases and scurvy, and smallpox, and typical diseases. And God even talks about those. He even describes medicine in in positive lights. He he calls himself a great doctor. You know what I mean? Luke was a doctor. He talks, he prescribes medicines in the scripture, specifically. Um, You know, there's scriptures where Paul, I think I quoted a few of these, where Paul has somebody who's sick, and he, he leaves them there sick. And tells them to treat them and take care of them. And, and I thought, well, why doesn't Paul just lay hands on them? So how many know that God is not in a box? He can do what he wants. Amen. At the same time, we in, are in a world where sin is killing us in a lot of different ways. And we recognize that. How many know that there's other things that are killing us like bitterness and gossip and slander? You know, the Bible even talks about things like bitterness rotting the bones. Right? Where it, it doesn't matter how much chemotherapy you have, sometimes bitterness is a, is a matter, of, the freedom is a matter of unresolved emotions, unresolved sin, either against us or from us. I, I want to pray and just ask the Lord to be with us. Amen. Amen. Um, if you are struggling with any kind of drugs and addiction, you, you don't need to have me, by the way, before I pray here, is you don't need to have me sit here and tell you it's wrong and you shouldn't be doing it. Because we don't, as pastors, we don't go around the church. You who've been here a while, do you realize we don't go into your house and go, you've been doing drugs? Okay? Because when you're struggling with something that's mastered you, when you need help, you'll know it. When the pleasure of that sin starts to starts to do it. I was talking to someone, he was an addict just like I was an addict. We were just talking about it because I was talking about this message and he said, he said, remember when you used to get high and then you you try to do everything you could, you, you felt pretty good. So you tried to do everything to maintain where you were. You don't want any more, more, any less. And I looked at him and I said, and it never worked. Because you either started going down and need a little bit more to get yourself up, or then you got a little bit too high and then you need to start getting yourself down, and then you need to start using something else. And we start to become chemistry tweakers, right? Yep, yep. Tweaking our chemistry. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that in you we have another dimension of ourselves that goes beyond body and chemistry and tweaking things that tweak our brain and affect our bloodstream. Lord, we have the Holy Spirit of God, Lord, which empowers and enlightens the very soul within us. Lord, and I, I, Lord, I know what the scriptures say, that one day this body will be changed. It'll be transposed to something else, something, something better, Lord. We'll still have some same software, but different hardware. And um, I pray, Lord, that as we struggle in this life and uh, see 
the things that can influence. It's not just drugs and addiction. It's food. It's, Lord, it's attitude. It's things that affect us, Lord, that are spiritually connected. Lord, help us to be free from these things. That there's nothing but you mastering us. Let your grace be upon us, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Do I hear amen? Amen. All right, tough topics. Let me, let me just get an intro. And my intro here is to get on the same page. I share a little bit in, in our um, uh, you know, pastor's dessert and other places, kind of my past. But I want to be able to identify with you. And I talk to people, sometimes parents who have never used before or barely used at all. And they're dealing with uh, kids um, you know, that, that start experimenting in school, you know, hitting some of the early stages um, of addiction. And then I have parents um, that are, um, you know, painfully walking through kids that are struggling in addiction. And I talk to young people and older people who are in the midst of addiction and they can't seem to be set free, that the addiction is so strong. Um, and um, I want to talk about some things also that, you know, that, that God has healing. How many know that there is no weapon formed against us that shall prosper? Come on, amen. amen. One more, amen. amen. This is understood. This is the reality. That drug, whatever it is, that addiction that you have has a loud and consistent and habitual voice in your head. It's, it's, it's a long pattern. It's a cycle. I started drinking. And again, I've already mentioned what I said about alcohol, but I, I started drinking when I was about 11 or 12. Um, you know, uh, my, my, my dad stopped drinking at a certain, certain time because um, he wanted to demonstrate his willpower to us. And, um, but we had already started at that time. Just started drinking. I, I played on the junior national U.S. team and was playing in Europe. And we were, it's really when alcohol got a hold of me, we were walking down the street with our USA shirts you know, and suits and everything, just walking down the streets as young men with these big cases of beer and, and going, European beer, man. And, and we were walking, and, and then just, I, 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 no one really knew my personality, but my personality was automatically addictive. You know, the minute I started the drinking, I, I was, I've got to, I want to get drunk again. And, and it just became a regular pattern for me. At that point, I was probably getting drunk. I thought I was 13, maybe twice a week. When I say drunk, I mean drunk. Drunk till I dropped. Because I could not sleep because of some physical pain, emotional pain I had in my life that would not, I could not sleep unless I was absolutely hammered. If I could still. If I was still up, I would take more, and I, I drank not just beer. I drank um, Bacardi 151. I drank Everclear, you know, which is very similar to gasoline. I drank, you know, very strong stuff, you know, but, but usually some kind of 151 proof of some, some sort. And I would get, I was drunk like gone drunk, like totally, totally gone. And I started smoking weed probably about that same time. I had a friend who had some weed, and um, we just started smoking it. And, I, and it got to the point with weed that I would literally be going up and down the streets in our neighborhood in Los Angeles, just looking for someone who's got weed. Hey, you got weed? You got weed? It'd be in the middle of the night, 9, 10, 11 o'clock for, for a young kid, just walking down the street going, man, I need to get some weed. I would have stole the weed. I would have took the weed. It didn't matter. I needed some weed. Like, I cannot go to bed. I cannot finish this day without some weed. That's how bad it got for me. At 16, my brother, who was also an addict, um, uh, gave me cocaine for the first time. And for my 16th birthday, he lined up a big line. It was probably about this long. You know, for those of you familiar with cocaine, you know, and just laid it all out there. And I remember him bursting in the room. I just woke up and he said, happy birthday, you know. And I remember looking at it and thinking, you know, what's this going to be like? Because I was afraid of cocaine and I was afraid of heroin just from what I'd heard. 
uh, Say No to Drugs campaign with Nancy Reagan. And I, I kind of knew what there was going on, but I just thought to myself, I'm just an evolved piece of nothing. My life doesn't really mean anything. And if you ever wonder why I'm so against the concept of evolution, it's rooted in this, that there is real pain here. I became addicted to cocaine pretty rapidly, but over a period of years. It first became, well, it's really high, but it, if you've taken cocaine, it's, you get really high, it opens all your neurons in your nervous system, so you feel everything radically, and then, after you've, and then you keep taking it, keep taking it to keep it open, and then all of a sudden, after it's been open for a while, it just shuts down your nervous system because it's so overwrought that finally you just get so depressed. And cocaine users have often been suicide people because it depresses you so much. It takes you so high, and then it takes you so low. But it's not like it's a hallucinogen kind of trip. It's not like that. It was a mental addiction, not a physical addiction. I was mentally addicted to it over a period of time. And that just led to pills... LSD, and that became kind of the thing that I liked, where it, it would just escape me out of where I was. Heroin, ecstasy, and then finally I just became a full-blown addict, and becoming a dealer was just the next best thing. They were just using it, let's, let's sell it, and we started off by selling little things like eight balls and grams at restaurants. You know, people we knew in restaurants working until pretty soon we were selling to those dealers and we'd raise them up. They'd become dealers and we kind of raised them up in the trade where you go, man, you got these six, seven, eight customers. I'm going to start selling you a bigger chunk. And then it's like, you know, you take these three restaurants and you take that school and you take this thing and, you know, you could buy a pound and a pound is going to save you a ton of money. And then a kilo is going to be a couple... 2.2 pounds, and it grew, grew, and grew. Until pretty soon, I realized that we had to start collecting money as well. You know, because addicts, you know how you can tell when an addict's lying? When he's moving his lips. Right? Listen, I had physical addictions, I got emotionally addictions, I got demonic if not possessions, definitely trances. I know you're not edified right this moment because I'm, I'm trying to tell you the truth of my life. By the way, isn't it great that I'm preaching the gospel now? Just the miracle of it. I never get confused with the, oh my gosh, I think I earned my way into heaven. I never get that confused. Because you could take every sexual debauchery and just mix it into this light, you know? And I grew up with a lot of the prostitution. I had a, a girl friends that I grew up with that went into prostitution. Some, you know, are still in that, but in a different role in the prostitution thing, even till today, even still up to today. When God got a hold of me, and delivered me. He set me free. It didn't, he didn't take every single temptation away. There was still temptation. I remember the very first time talking to my pastor at the time. Stuart and Brent. And I remember I said to them, I said, listen, if I use, am I going to go to hell? Because I was thinking to myself, can I please use, and God still like me, and they were kind of torn in between, because at one point, you don't want to go, yeah, go ahead and use it, God will love you. But I remember them saying, Eric, what is it doing for you? Of course, God's going to love you no matter what, because he saved you and delivered you. Let him save you and deliver you from this. And he said, but even if you do it, 
God will stay with you. And I remember I went into, because I thought drinking would be safe, is I, drank, I grabbed a Long Island iced tea. I was with Jody's brother, you know, who's probably 340 pounds and tats all over, big chopper, motorcycle, biker gang guy. And, and I remember he sat with me in the bar. He was saved. And, and I just drank. I took a Long Island iced tea and I, I downed it. Because Pete and I, who plays guitar, he was, he was one of my drug buddies. Guess what? We're both saved. Yeah. Right? And, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to drink it down again. And, I'm gonna, and I looked at Jay and I go, so you think God's going to kill me or what? You know, because I was mad. Because you know what? A lot of what was driving me to drugs is I had so much unresolved things in my life, unresolved emotions, bitterness that had been just laying dormant, uh, fears and hurts and pains, and the drugs worked. The drugs masked it, you know? It, it gave me confidence when I needed it. It gave me escape when I needed it. It was solving it, and it, and it little by little grabbed me in and made me its slave. And I remember thinking in my heart, man, I'm a slave to this. And here I am now saved. It's been a couple days that I've, done, I've been set free by the Lord. And I got this drinking and I drank it, drank it. And then I drank another iced tea. And then all of a sudden, I felt the Spirit of God come upon me. I was literally in the bar. And the Spirit of God literally just came upon me. And I was straight as can be. I mean, I was literally straight. And God just reminded me, he goes, Eric, I love you with an everlasting love. And that was boom. I took him and also I had a Bahala Diet Coke. Because, you know, and then God started showing me that I didn't need it. I didn't need it. That I could trip out in my mind and be really fun and crazy on my own. How many say amen? amen? I have a creative imagination. You have no idea about the things I can think about <laughs> and ponder. Trust me, I'm more trippy when you know me. <laughs> and there's no topic that I don't like to discuss into. But I am not raised in a Christian home. I do not have a big church background. I don't have the same. I have the biblical values you have, but not the tradition that you have. Like I don't, I'm not married to like we have to have the Easter play and some people want that. I don't care if we have donkeys and mules. I don't care if we ever do a play. Seriously. But I respect it. And Jesus Christ set me free. Jesus Christ set me free. Listen, if you have somebody that you know that's struggling with addiction, please let my testimony ring in your mind. God brought an atheist, rebellious, debauched, driven, extremist personality. Extreme. I'm an intense personality. I was a very feisty physical presence. I wasn't the type of person that if you looked at me wrong, I would have walked into you, grabbed you by the throat at a second's notice. Seriously. And I have a tender heart. I only want to kill people when I'm driving. That's the only time. <laughs> and I literally get tempted to step out of the car <laughs> at times. Not very often, but there's just certain times I really step out and I just think to myself, you have no idea what I'm capable of. <laughs> and I can, I can almost hear the Lord going, whoop-de-doo. <laughs> All right. I'm going to talk about recreation and medical drug use. And I know that people have back injuries and things that, that they you know, get injured and they have to take pills for a, a short amount of time. And some people who are going through cancer treatments who have to take drugs, you know, for even a long time, a period of time. And, and, and there are medical reasons. There are pain things that are not solved other ways. Maybe they've even turned to God to say, Lord, heal it. I don't believe that those are demonic-influenced, um, reprobate kinds of things. I think that those are just common-sense 
medicinal uses that the Bible describes medicine as in its primitive state, and we've gotten more progressive as a culture to understand it. I also think that some people abuse that. You know? I don't think 98% of Berkeley has glaucoma (laughs) and needs medical marijuana. Do you? Right? And, and, and can I tell you, I'm not going to go house to house. If you, you want your weed and it's going to become legal, you can have your weed. I'm not going to stop you. But does God really, if you're a believer, does God really want you to sit there in addiction that you're just bound and slave to anything? Anything. Let's say cheesecake has your heart. <laughs> Doesn't God want you to be free? Come on. Listen to me. Doesn't God want you to be free? Come on. Doesn't he want you to be free? You know, that moment, that amazing grace song started, and and you could hear it, and you were reminded of the grace, and your hands just lifted out of it, you know, and all of a sudden you felt the peace of God, and you thought, there's nothing better than God. Can I tell you, that's true of every second, of every moment, of every hour, of every single day. It is true. All right. So, I read the scripture to start off with. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. Amen? Amen. So, I'm going to do a few tough scriptures that I want to get, that, that just talk about it directly, and then some with some words like pharmakia. And then I want to get into the heart of my message. So the first one here is just, this one is such a common question. I just have three or four questions, then I'm going to get to my four points. Aren't demons connected to every sickness? Okay, and this is what people will wonder. And they see scriptures like this. It says, that evening, that evening uh, they brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons. He cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. And people kind of look at that and they think, you know what? Maybe there's a demonic influence. When he healed them, then the infirmity left. Um, When you're sick, especially in those days, and especially when you're weak, I believe that the demonic can use any weakness area in our life to try to take influence. Agreed? He can take influence. People go through great tragedies and start getting bitter about God, and the enemy will use it. There is a spirit of the air. But don't discount the flesh. God holds men accountable for their sins. Amen? He holds men accountable. But he also doesn't just give you a right and wrong balance to try to get you saved, hopefully more good than bad. He brings his son who takes our very nature, that same body, and he pays for us. And here it says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. And how many believe that every disease and every illness and every demonic spirit has been taken care of on the cross? It doesn't mean that every single illness that you experience will immediately be gone and you won't die here because you will die here unless the Lord comes first. Wouldn't it be killer if the Lord came in like 10 years? We had radical evangelism, right? And every Christian decided that they're going to actually be ushers at the church. <laughs> and they're going to work in children's ministry. Rather than us always having to have a mediocre presence, we'd actually have a strong, mighty presence. Everybody decided we're giving to the life of the church. We're giving to God. I'm going to start living an evangelistic life. What would the church look like? The church. Amen? That's what it looked like. And thank God we, we look a lot like that, I believe, in, in, um, in many pockets. So... Drugs and demons are not automatically linked. You don't just get prescribed some kind of you know, medication at the doctor's office and then boom, it opens you up to some kind of sorcery. But, but, the, but the Bible says that we, you know, if there, when there's a weakness in us, we become more susceptible to those things. You know, you start, and then there are some people that are born with different kinds of chemistry that needs to be adjusted. There are children who are born with certain kinds of chemistry that's messed up. It's, it's because of the devolution of mankind since the fall. And they get prescribed something that compensates for that. I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. I don't believe that that just opens it up automatically to the demonic world. The demonic world is open to something specific. It's called rebellion. 
right? Rebellion is the same as witchcraft, the Bible says. When you're rebellious, the Bible says that directly connects you to the demonic world. Rebellion. Okay. Listen, this is where we get that scripture. Um, Revelation 21.8, he's talking about the unbeliever, by the way. And, he, and look at some of the describes. He says, as for the cowardly, he's talking about the final act, that death has already come. He's talking about now, is there going to be a second death? And how many would like to skip the second death? Come on, how many say amen? amen? The second death. And he says, as for the cowardly. And this is his description. Boy, cowardly. That's, bad. That's tough, huh? The faithless, no faith. The detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral. And here it is. There's the word pharmakia, sorcerers. It's, 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 it's using unbiblical means of summoning the spiritual world. We have a way to access God through the Holy Spirit through Christ. Amen? Amen? That's the way that we access it. But we do not have other ways to access it. God forbids it in Leviticus 18 and other places. And then he says, you know, don't summon these things. And then it starts to become associated with demonic behavior. And then you start to tweak with your chemistry in an act of rebellion to escape rather than dealing with what you have. And you open yourself to answers for that pain that you have, not from the Lord, but you turn to the flesh and you turn to something else besides the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, you turn to the flesh you turn to chemistry, you turn to the spiritual world. Help me. Help me. And it's willing to help. And it says, but these idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is anyone who does not have Christ. All your sins will be exposed. And how many know that these are what will be revealed? Right? It's exactly what. But for them, as for them, this is what will happen to them. And we're talking sorcerers. We're not talking about Gandalf and Harry Potter. Okay? All right? The next one here is, can't we just pray everyone to health? You know? And, and there, there's scripture here, by the way, astheno, is any among you sick? Astheno is, to, to, that word there, sick, is, is not just sickness. Some people think that this scripture is just you know, are you feeling sickly like you have a, a flu or you have cancer, you have something? It, it's also a terminology for weakness. You're deficient in strength. You're weak in your faith. You're doubting. It's not just health-wise. So, so imagine that. So uh, imagine, if you're going through someone who's doubting or struggling in their faith or health sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. In other words, Holy Spirit, come and work. The oil of the Holy Spirit are synonymous there in the analogy. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And then he says, the Lord will raise them up. And then he says, if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Because sometimes it's a matter of someone struggling through something and they've been sinning. And I've had people surprised. They come to our, they say, can you pray for us and anoint us with oil? We go, yeah, we pray for them. Then we look at them halfway through the prayer and I go, has God been convicting you of some kind of sin? And they go, I, I just came here to get healed. Yeah, but the scripture talks about that you may be struggling with some kind of sin or bitterness. And all of a sudden they go, yeah, something's happened. And God says, I want to restore you. Now, some, some denominations see this and they will now refuse biblical help, medical help. And they believe it's all <clears throat> for biblical reasons because Jesus doesn't diagnose, you know, hey, you need to see a doctor. When Jesus heals people, he heals them all the way. Do I hear an Amen. So I understand the justification, okay? There has been parents who've been um, convicted of, you know, reckless second-degree homicide because they have their son or their daughter has some kind of treatable disease, and they don't get that treatment because they say they're waiting for God to work. But you cannot force God to work. Do you understand that God uses other means? You can't be prideful. In the way that you expect God to heal. You ask God to heal and then you pursue things as a good parent to take care of your child. Amen? Amen. It's what God expects you to do as a defender of your family. That's why you provide for them. You find ways to provide for them. You, you, you make ways. You fight for them. And God understands that. And that's why there are, when there are medicinal reasons and solving in the Bible, 
even in those days, he, he encourages them to use them. And I'll give you uh, 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 several examples out of hundreds. Um, so the, the question is, we don't need doctors in medicine, right? And I, and I don't think that's true. And what about medicinal use for healing? Does this distract us from God to heal us by faith alone? And I said again, God talks about doctors and medicine with favor. He uses medical metaphors in the Proverbs. I just quoted a few here. A merry heart does good like a medicine. He understands that there is medicine. Our dear friend Luke the doctor, you can find the kind of practices that were going on at that time period. They had all kinds of things for flus and colds. And you hear in Timothy, he goes, stop drinking water, use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. Now, there are more primitive results here in this case. But, but he's saying, well, I don't understand why he just doesn't go. And he goes, your, your stomach's feeling ill? I'll just lay hands on you and I'll heal you. No, he gives him a physical thing. Do this. Take care of that. Hey, stop. You know, it's like the doctor. You visit the doctor and he says, I need you to eat an apple every day. I need you to start eating vegetables. How many older people have heard that from the doctor? How many have heard, I got to eat more vegetables? Well, why don't you just eat hamburgers and lay hands on them? You know what I mean? You know, I've tried that. Lord, can you turn this bacon cheeseburger, Lord, into broccoli ingredients as it comes down? Let it dissipate to cauliflower, Lord, and finally become sugar snap peas as it comes down to my stomach. Remove the acid. No, sometimes you got to take stuff to reduce the acid. We are in a totally different medicinal, cultural, physical understanding of what life is and how things are made up because God gave us really cool minds, didn't he? And God wants us to think and be creative and solve problems. And we don't just have to use the harp and the lyre anymore with the musical instruments. We can plug them in and have electricity and, and you know, do musical scores. And we can create movie effects and all kinds of cool things. Amen. Amen. This is not God going, I don't want that. I want you to go back to stone and tablets. That's what I like the best. Well, what are you kidding me? Why would God give us these incredible brains? Well, I don't want you to use them. That's rebellion. No, come on. God doesn't just heal way. There's times in the scripture where he says, I want you to speak to the injury in Genesis 17 and 20. Speak to the injury and it'll be healed. There's other times where he says, I want you to jump in that water through a, a rock in it and that thing will get rid of the bitterness and people have studied the medical implications with it. In Leviticus, he gives all kinds of medical treatments. Okay, um, let me just say this. Satan is not the inventor of medicine, right? Just because you see pornography and the internet together doesn't mean that Satan is the inventor of the internet. God gave us medicine for a purpose. Taking medicine doesn't contradict my belief in divine healing. I just want to encourage you. God may want to use it. It doesn't mean he's not involved in it. Just like you eat good foods because you know that you're putting things in that are solving your nutritional needs because it takes care of you. God gives you a measure of stewardship in this. So, you know, if you get diagnosed with a bad back and they give you oxycodone and you take it, for tw you take it 20 times. When I had my surgery and they cut into my throat, they gave me um, a morphine. And the doctor told me right at the beginning, I told him I have addiction problems, so I have to be really careful with this kind of stuff. And he said, well, you're going to need it. But afterwards, I'm going to give you this to kind of get you off of it because it's going to be strong. This is one of the most painful surgeries, and it was and for about two, three days. But I could tell by that third or fourth day when I, I put a pill in because I needed it. And Jody's like, you sure you need that pill? And I go, yeah, I think I do. I'm like, I don't need that pill. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on. Come on, I don't have to play holier than thou. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? You liars, some of you. <laughs> right? And, and then and it's just like you know that you can take it more than you really need it. Okay? Because it starts to soothe something in you and it's doing something that the Lord is saying, I can do this for you. You don't need this. Amen? Listen, church, do you feel condemnation from me? No, no. Because I hope you don't. I want to hit you hard with truth, but I want to speak it in love. I want you to understand we're not policing to see what kind of pills you're taking. But what we're saying is, can you police yourself? And if you're struggling with it, don't hide it. 
Don't, you don't need to hide it and go, man, I'm really struggling with this, but I don't, need, I don't want anyone to know. Just go, you know what? I think I'm stuck. I'm stuck. If you're in a small group, as you could trust the people around you, just go, you guys, I'm struggling with pills. You know? And don't be the person that stands up and goes, give me all your pills and I'll flush them down the toilet for you. Has that ever worked? It doesn't work until the person grabs them out of their pocket, led by the Lord, and says, I need to get rid of these. And they flush it down the toilet. Amen? Moses healed people naturally using wood and water and other, a couple different means. Isaiah prescribes medicine a few times, specifically there in Isaiah for Hezekiah's boil. You know, there is a time in the scripture where they turned, Hezekiah turns to medicine and God says, you shouldn't have. You should have turned to me instead. God commands the procedure of circumcision, which we still use today for health reasons. Jeremiah declares medicine is the way for Babylon to be healed. He gives them a prescription. God reveals healing recipes made from leaves of um, tea le- uh, leaves from trees. Erastus, here's one. In First Timothy, he goes, "I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Why is Paul leaving this guy sick? Because he understands that there's a sickness in the world." That, that we live, he didn't understand how the bacteria and, you know, the, how, and if you want to go smaller than that, the molecules within the bacteria interact. And I thank God that we have doctors and scientists researching these things and how there's times when God doesn't need to move in there because he's already moved in the creation of these things, of solving our problems. And there are times when God uses suffering that we have in this world. Listen, whenever I'm suffering in any way, I can't stand it. Are you with me? But how many have seen God work in your heart, even in suffering? And you've become something that you didn't want. You became something more than you were. And it's not like God's just going, hey, I want you just to suffer. You know, It's that God uses the things in the world. He doesn't always intervene to just stop things. But he's always there, moving in tandem, building our trust. So... Let me, let me hit number one here, because these are some important things, okay? Number one, and I'm going to get to my four points here. Does God promote drug use? Often people will say, does God prohibit it? I've, I've mentioned a few. I could have gone on for three weeks and talked about, he said this, he said this, he said that, about the drug use. And most of you, if you've been a drug user, and you've probably been online to try to figure out where in the scriptures God talks about this. Let's leave all that behind for a moment. Does God promote it? Does he ever come in and he goes, man, what you need, Jeremiah, is some weed. (laughs) Think about it. Does God ever promote it? It's just like when I was talking about sexuality. What is he promoting? What's he pushing? What's he saying is a reflection of him? And look what he says here. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a strength in times of trouble. Not, Not the other stuff. Yes, I need a glass of red wine, the oxidization and all that stuff. And I'm not saying, oh, you can't ever have a glass of red wine. But I'm just saying there are times when you reach for the wine when you should be reaching for the word. And God has a peace there for you that is going to transcend not only the problem now, but he's going to resolve something in your soul so that you can walk forward. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you, okay? Listen, these are not the scriptures we see. Okay? Hesitations 9-9. Weed is a refuge for the oppressed. I just, I really want you to think about this when you, I'm telling the scripture. Various pills are a strength in times of trouble. Those who know about it and smoke it or inject it, they will never be let down. So chillax. Drugs have never forsaken those who seek them for recreation. Listen, how, how many know that drugs will forsake you? They, 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 will, they will leave it. Listen, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Say, whom shall I fear? Who, there's a confidence that God gives you. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall be, uh, I be afraid? And listen, Budweiser and little cocaine are my hope and my courage. So that I'm confident as I avoid reality. So whom shall I fear? 
The occasional high will always be the stronghold of my life. As long as my dealer has supplies, I won't be afraid. <laughs> Come on, how many can relate to this? Come on. Because I don't want you to look at these, you know, the Bible and, and do the error where you go, does God prohibit child pornography? Well, I don't know if it's in there. Are you kidding me? There's so many principles in there and even direct quotes. But, but you shouldn't spend that time. Where does God ever promote it? And this is what I'm talking about drugs. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident because the Lord is with me. Amen? Or though the police besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though my family is falling apart around me, I will still be confident because I'm a little high and my stash may soon be legal in Utah. <laughs> do you think that these are scriptures? I mean, do you think that this is the heart of God when you, if you're trying to justify yourself here? Does God promote drug use? I, I, I think our stand is a very gracious one. I think it reflects the truth of God and it reflects the heart of God. Amen. That God will meet you. If you're struggling right now, God will meet you wherever you are. Amen. Okay? And can I encourage you, if you see someone struggling with drugs and they finally come out and they go, man, I'm struggling with this, will you not shame them? Seriously. When you do, God will reveal something in you. Don't shame someone who finally comes forward. And don't judge them in the sense of, I'd never do that. I, I strong. I went right through it. Do you really want God to show you how weak you can be? Just look at Nebuchadnezzar. If you think, oh, alcohol will never get me. I'm just so strong. It can get you. There's nothing that can't not get you. And you might you know, think you have a certain strength and you put your hope in your self-control. But the true self-control comes from the Holy Spirit self-control. And it's a totally different, if go refer to my Fruits of the Spirit tapes, or tapes, cassette tapes. <laughs> Listen, here's what the Bible says. Do not be idolaters. And this is what we did is we start to idolize something. And that's what drugs does. I, I remember doing cocaine. There was one specific time. It was one of the last times I did cocaine. But I saw the pattern of it. And, and me and three or four of my friends, you know, were going through a bunch of cocaine. And everybody was doing a line. And it becomes super addicting. And then everybody's generous when you have a lot. Yeah, you take some. And then you take some. But then as it gets less and less and less, and you get to that last bit, the person who bought it, goes, well, the last line's for me. Because it becomes, you become an idolater. You need it. It becomes your focal point. It's what you want. That is what addiction does. Okay, God doesn't promote it. Number two, what does God promote? Can I tell you, it's a life in Christ. He's promoting a, a life of freedom. You know, God has such a bad thing. God is so, you know, all these God things are going on. Listen, religious people ruin the reputation of God. Amen. With their big list of no's, you know, they throw it at the people struggling with drugs and go, no, like that. And they just throw them out there. Good marriages when their own marriage stinks anyway. You know what I mean? You know, they, they've got a, a wife who's unloved, but they got the big sign on it. Be sober-minded. The enemy is looking around for someone to devour. God wants us to be in our right mind. Just point your head to your mind. Say, God wants me in my right mind. Okay? Make me mind. Don't get drunk on wine. It leads to debauchery. That's excessive indulgence and the sensual pleasures. It's not that God doesn't want you to have pleasure. He knows that the unabashed pleasure of sensuality in its extreme will torment you. Right? Because it becomes self-inducing. It's like, it's like a sexual relationship that is just taking. It's, it's, not, it's not love, it's lust. I'm sorry if that was PG-13. I didn't mean it to be. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God? And he goes, listen. And then the Lord takes this seriously. And he's not talking about ownership like slavery. Like, like the way we understand slavery. He's saying... Do you understand that your whole, your whole being was redeemed? That you're in, in my presence, in Christ. 
Do you really want me to watch you in my presence defile yourself? He's not pulling your salvation. He's not throwing you out of the presence. But what he's doing is he's removing the feeling of it and saying, I need you to think about this. You're not your own anymore. He says, come on. It's an appeal. Glorify God with your body. How many say amen? amen. And, and, and I just want to ask you this. If, you, if, you're doing, if you're addicted right now, I just ask you, what's the fruit of the drugs? What's the fruit? Each tree is known by its fruit. The fruit of the flesh is factions, dissension. That's how you can always tell when something's from God. It's factional. It's, it's divisive. It's, it's, it's me-oriented. The fruit of the Spirit is, can everyone say love? love. I'm not talking about happy. Man, we got stoned and I was so happy. Listen, I, I understand. I've been stoned and happy with no joy. Joy is an internal river flow in my heart. Happy is the right music and the right tapes to stimulate me. And I'm not saying that there's no such thing as happy when you had a drink. I'm just saying that the true one that lasts is true love, joy, peace. It's not one or the other. It's all of these. You have love and joy. You have love and peace. You have peace and joy and goodness. And that becomes a part of the fruit. What is the fruit of using drugs? Just think about this as I'm approaching this topic. Is it love and self-sacrifice? When you see someone walking and moving toward addiction, is that what you notice? Self-sacrifice? Do you start to see people really getting a sense of identity and purpose in their soul? Like, man, I was born to be a drug dealer. This is it. You know, I, I've, I've sat with prisoners. I've sat with people struggling in this. I've, I've met so many meth dealers, big-time dealers, and, you know, just, and just stuck in their chemistry and trying to figure things out and struggling. I've never met one filled with the deep peace and love that God has. Because it's not because I'm trying to be judgmental. I'm just saying that because they're experiencing a tormented thing. You, you don't hear testimonies like this. Hey, you know, Bert? Yeah. <sighs> he was really struggling in life, but his family was really hurting and stuff. He didn't really know who he was. But now that he's become an addict, things have really turned around. <laughs> hey, do you ever hear that? Have you ever heard that? So I, what I want you to see is that we don't need to search for these things in a negative light, just like we don't have to defend the faith. Oh, Christianity is true. Really, it is? I can go on the offense. Christianity is true. Right? All the evidence points to it in every possible way. It's the same thing with scriptures. The fruit of drugs is never healthy. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You become its slave. The first time you use it, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. No one can serve two masters. He's, he's talking about money here, but the principle still stands. You can't serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. He's talking about money. You get devoted to money, you can't be devoted to God. People who love, there's a lot of people, even in the church, who love money more than they love God. And, and then they, they, they protect it and serve it way more than they serve God with it. Okay, number four, and I'm getting to the end here. Can everyone say amen? amen. <laughs> Come on, are you getting something out of this? Yeah. Are you getting something out? I hope so. We use drugs to relieve our pain. The question I put, what do I do about all my pain? Boy, I can so identify with this. There's a lot of pain in this world, isn't there? There's a lot of things to be hurting about. You know, I've experienced deep betrayal uh, by people. I've experienced um, you know, physical pain, loss of life, close ones, losing close ones. Just disappointment sometimes from the expectations I have. There's a lot of reasons. You know, I put, put these are, are, are pretty standard. I, I didn't want to invent these and just come up with my own experience because I didn't think that was fair. Because So I, I went to a, a deeper medical um, uh, things, especially the, the Mayo Clinic. Stage one and just a general thing is people start experimenting. 
with drugs. This is, these are the stages to resolve pain. I'm hurting and it's helping. Then they start, it becomes regular use. You get comfortable with it, doesn't scare you. That's how I was with heroin. Didn't scare me anymore, so I thought I'd just use a little bit more. I need it to feel better. And then it gets riskier. You know? You start to use to extreme. Gosh, if we had a half a gram, what would we do with a gram? If we had a gram, what would we do with an eight ball? If we had an eight ball, what if we had as much as we needed? And then you get that feeling, it's not that bad. And then, and then you become drug addicted. You become dependent on it. And there you are. And you're stuck. And this thing becomes your master. God never points to drugs a solution to personal pain. Ever. He never points to it. He wants to resolve those. Even if you're in deep back pain, the doctors prescribe something, and you're under its influence for your back pain. Can I tell you, God is still your answer. Can I, can I hear amen? amen. God, is, God is your answer. He's your answer. Jesus says to me, and here's this, one of the solutions. It's, it's a cliche, but in Christianity, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens or heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Addiction, if it's untreated, unresolved, it just gets worse you're in kindergarten and a teacher says something that affects you. They go, you know what, Johnny, you know, you are such a, and says something and you carry it. And a kid down the street says something and betrays you in, in a friendship, let's say, when you're a little. Then you get in a fight when you're in second grade and Someone does something mean to you and you see hatred for yourself for the first time maybe in a deep way. And as you go through life, we start to carry these wounds. How many are you tracking with me? And pretty soon you just, you got all this stuff you're carrying. You don't even know how you're making it. And you don't know that they're all there. But God's saying, there's a time and a season where you need to forgive everybody in your life. We have resources called Steps to Freedom where you walk through and Ira and our team, we're going to be doing some stuff with our, with our community groups of equipping them to equip those in the community groups because that's really the best way to grow is in a community, small group community. And in that, it will walk you through, but you don't need to wait for that. You can make a day. And you go, I can't afford not to, to skip Wednesday. Yeah, you can skip Wednesday. So you lose a couple hundred bucks. Maybe take a friend and take a list and write down all the people in your life, starting when you were little, that you may need to forgive. Maybe on the other side of the paper, you might, you know, when I talk to people, and I've walked people through this many times, they start the list and they go, I don't really have anyone on my list. And I say, let's pray first. Lord, give us anyone who you need to forgive. And let's put it on the list. And all of a sudden, they got 50 people on their list. And they go, well, I don't want you to think I'm a bitter person. You're really going to let what I think limit your freedom? Why not get rid of the bitterness? And why not admit your own sins and go, man, I struggle with this. I struggle with that. I struggle. Maybe it's rebellion. You know, maybe you've done mean things to a brother or to a sister or to a parent or to a kid, and you just need to get it out. 12-step programs and things like that are all about trying to make restitution, but with a higher power. Can I tell you that higher power is Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords? I want to encourage you. You don't need... One of the addicts' biggest lie that, that they go through is that everybody's judging them. Don't be the person who is coming off judging them. I hate to say this to you, addict, but people are probably praying for you if you're struggling. And maybe you don't have any addictions at all. You're just driven by finances, and maybe you're even walking with God strong. You may still have to do some of the things that I just mentioned. 
to get resolved and get clarity. I've done it. It's something I've done and I live this way. You may need inpatient, outpatient treatment that may help you with the methadone or other ways of reducing your intake. You might need to be part of a recovery group. Step one is saying, I have a problem. I don't really like saying just I'm an addict because I am a saint of God. I am a saint of God who has addiction problems. I don't want it to define who I am. But everyone has their own approach. And here's the lasting solution in Jesus. Okay? Jesus tells a woman at the well, he goes, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus has a water that is stronger than anything. And I want you, why don't you close your eyes and let me close with this. And I'm going to have our base camp and prayer team come on forward. And I want to encourage you. You know, when you're coming forward, I'm going to give you a chance to come forward. If there's an addiction, it doesn't have to be a drug addiction. Or it might be a pain. You just got some deep hurt that you need to release to the Lord. It's tormenting you. I want you to come forward and just kneel before the Lord here. Just kneel, and I want you to bring it with you. Bring it with you. Put it in your hands, and I want you to lay it right here. I want you to lay the burden. This is just a, a piece of wood and some carpet, but it, this represents the, the altar of the Lord. I want you to take the pain that you're struggling with, and I want you to just come on forward right now, and I want you just to be able to just lay it here before with the eyes closed. Don't, if, if you know who I'm talking to, the minute I said it, something came to your mind. You go, I got this. Don't go, well, God will take care of it with me in the seat. Be responsive to the pastor who's leading you. Please, be responsive. Take, take our leadership seriously. I really believe that the Lord would have you walk down the aisle and have you lay it at his feet to say, Lord, I give it to you. There will be power in it. The, the Bible says, and just as we come to you, Lord, we say, Lord, out of the depths, I cry to you. Just just go ahead and pray to the Lord while you're over here. Just pray and hand it to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Be attentive to my cry. Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? Lord, but with you there is forgiveness, deep forgiveness, Lord, so that we can know you and serve you. Lord, we wait on you. Give it to him. You've wrestled with it. You've tried to solve it. You've tried to get past it. Would you just cast your care and give it to him and say, Lord, I give it to you. I surrender it to you. I give the ability to overcome it to you. Lord, I confess my weakness. I confess that this, I allow this to get a hold of me. Lord, I, I know that this may have been caused by somebody else. Someone came in and they hurt you. They disrespected you. They disrespected you as a person. And they came at you strongly. You know? Or you might just be dealing with a sickness. It's, it's someone you know is hurt and sick. And you're struggling with the pain of it. But you say, Lord, I give it to you. Heal my soul. And then can you just lift your hands to the Lord? Just, and we can do this all over the room. Lift your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, cleanse my soul. Lord, my soul, it waits on you. I put my hope in you. Bring your healing and restoration and deliverance, Lord. Lord, it's so hard when we're stuck. And we don't know how to move forward. And I speak the deliverance of the Lord. Be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Be restored by the power of the blood of Jesus' name. Be healed by the power of his mighty name. There is no weapon formed against you that will prosper. Jesus is your healer and deliverer. I promise you that the deliverance is real. It is real and it is matter of fact. 
You are healed in the name of Jesus. It's by his wounds. It's by his stripes. It's by his sacrifice, by his payments. Everything, every iniquity has been paid. What you've put before him, he has taken away. He has taken it just like in the Old Testament. The sins were put into the mercy goat. And he was led away from the camp, never to be seen again. And Lord, we remove the sin and our addiction and our bondage and our fears and our pain. And we surrender to you. And then can you just give God praise? Lord, we give you praise. Hallelujah to the King. Lord, you can take our healing and make it real in our souls. And we praise you in the name of Jesus. Heavenly King, Lord of Lords, God of Gods, King of Kings, the Mighty One, the Almighty, the Deliverer, the Great Jehovah, Provider, Leader, Deliverer, Restorer, Powerful Savior. There is none besides you. We give you all praise and glory and might and power be to the name of Jesus Christ. You are the Mighty One, the Almighty One. And Lord, I pray that you would reign within our sicknesses. And Lord, I speak to those that are still struggling with pain. Lord, even those that are in medical conditions now, bring your restoration in the name of Jesus Christ. Can you pray that in agreement with me? Bring your restoration. Lord, bring your healing power. Work from the inside to the outside. Work from the blood to the bones to the muscles. Lord, work at levels we do not understand yet and bring your restoration. Jesus is our healer. In Jesus' name, do I hear amen. Amen. Blessings be to God. We'll see you guys next week. If you need prayer, come on forward. Do not hesitate.